Hello, everyone. This is Mike, and you're listening to the J. Mike Fields Podcast, and we have Rick Ripke back again. Doctor. No, it's good to be here, buddy. What's going on with you? Uh, just living the dream. Yeah. It's Friday. And you got a day off. It's a yes, miracle. Yes, yes, yes. So we're not quite sure what to do with ourselves. Um, uh, really fortunate that it rained recently so uh, oh no we're, we're able now to mow the grass after about a week and a half and so and set off all your cheap fireworks uh, just no because I, I get wimpy fireworks so i like have firework envy with everybody <laughs> around me so oh my gosh that's funny that's funny um what do you think about all the influx of mental health and more people being willing to see therapists and, and really needing to do that i've noticed that mm-hmm. you know, being a life coach like i don't know how many people have had to refer or therapists even referring out not for mm-hmm. obviously for mental illness and that kind of stuff just for mm-hmm. accountability but what do you make of all that with everything going on in the world well um, one i'm really glad that people are stepping out of the old box the old mindset uh of course this is now going on 36 years of doing this. So back in my day, it was one of those things where I'm not going to go talk to a shrink. There's no way I'm going to go. Um, but it is becoming more, no better word, mainstream. People mm-hmm. are becoming more open to the fact that, you know what, there's some times we just cannot do it on our own. And uh, they're reaching out more. And especially when we have gone through this chaotic time the past two years um, where anxiety and depression are skyrocketing uh, I'm glad to see that people are reaching out like I said and and seeking out help for it before I forget to ask I get a lot of messages what if someone is not able to get help they work the night shift they have a family maybe finances aren't there maybe they lost their health care someone that's struggling with anxiety or depression Mm -hmm. like what would something they could do simple or books they could get or strategies they could use to to help get better if they weren't able to see someone very often well sure that's a a real good question um there are now hotlines that they could actually oh yeah yeah. uh, call and contact i know the anxiety hotline and and those people who are dealing with depression so uh, the communities now have those uh, crisis centers that they can reach out to. Right. Um, uh, if they feel uncomfortable about doing that, uh, one of the uh, good things is because oftentimes when we start to feel anxious or depressed, we're getting stuck in our head, and we're looping these thoughts over and over. Leave again. our body. Oh, uh, I mean, if you if we look at it, is that uh, depression, anxiety, things like this are what is called secondary induced emotions. They're preceded by what we're looping. So we're causing it. We're, we're looping, yes, be it an actual threat or a perceived threat. Um, in fact, there's something called cognition fusion, and that's where we I get stuck. I've heard that. No, it's that, that's where we get stuck, and we are, like, fused to that thought. And so we loop it and loop it. Now it, we, we take ownership, even if it is an irrational fear, irrational thought. And so we continue to loop it. And so... Is that why you call it entities? Yes. Like, so it's almost if someone got intoxicated, those take over. That, or in that, kind of, that type of situation. Correct. Yeah. And so what we want to do is move into cognition diffusion. And so this is where we separate ourselves from that. Uh, a, a good way of doing that is actually writing it out. You know, um, looking at it from a bird's eye perspective is writing out what that thought is. 
because again, otherwise we're whooping it. So we got to get it from our head out and a good way of doing is logging what that thought is, but then taking a look at it and then asking yourself, is this really rational? You know, for example, when people start to get so anxious about what others might be thinking, what others might be, uh, they'll go, they're probably thinking this about me or feeling this about me, where they're projecting on that individual. It's a lot of energy. A lot of energy, and, and what they do is get fused to that thought, and they start to become anxious, and so they start to uh, behave in a way where they avoid the person versus writing out this person, uh, uh, I'm thinking that they think that I am not good enough. Well, wait a minute. I can't really read their mind. I'm not sure what they're thinking. Well, now I'm taking it from a, a fused state to a defused state. I'm challenging that thought. Not so nuclear anymore. Right, right, <laughs> yeah, right. That makes sense. Now, I was going to ask you, too. I think it's the Huberman Lab. I love this guy. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember if he's in neuroscience, something in that field. But what he talks about a lot is... So all the research points, so we talk about these like trigger warnings and all those kind of things. He says the research actually suggests that those are not good mm-hmm. and that the only thing that's been effective is to face those anxieties. Mm-hmm. Is So um, I've even been in states like during COVID, I stayed home a lot, and it felt really weird going to the store. I almost like avoided it. Correct. Like I felt anxiety for the first time walking into a store. Um, and I probably like avoided it for like two or three days and I'm like, this is silly, you know? And as soon as I confronted it, I felt so much better, like a relief. Yes. Well, and that's what people have a tendency of doing is people uh, always want to gravitate to their comfort zone, even though it is unhealthy. The familiar, you say that a lot. Yeah. And and so we we look at this is that when we have things like uh, avoidance, well, it's weird because we start avoiding in one area of our life, it then trickles into other areas of our life. Well, makes sense. Uh, well, the brain's just trying to use less energy, right? So it's just going to adapt and be like, well, this is similar. Yes. Yeah. So what it does is just go ahead and, okay, then, then I'm not going to do this also because what if? And anything that starts with a what if is going to be negative. What if I catch? What if this happens? And the majority of the what ifs are false, a good 99.8% of them. And so we give all this energy to something that is an illusion. But it starts in one area, and so then it goes to the other area. So think about this is that anxiety, the root of it, is always fear. Mm-hmm. Well, well, we know that fear starts to shut down our uh, neocortex. Paranoia. Paranoia. It, it uh basically heightens our amygdala, which is our warning sign. And so all we're focused is on that fear. And that's a safety mechanism. It's like a safety mechanism, me- yes. Yeah. After a while, it becomes toxic. Yep. And so then we start looking for everything that... Perception. Perception, so we start to be fearful of it. You always use the wind, the, the dashboard, and then yes. like other cars. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, and that's like when the we... the thoughts and... The thoughts, and what's wild is that there, what, what goes on in our happy little noggin takes place everywhere else in our body you know it floods the system and when we start to feel anxious a good way of because we don't think about our thinking nobody nobody teaches us to think about our thinking it's so funny like we hear these words awareness all the time and consciousness Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. i catch myself like still going 30 minutes like i don't even know what i'm thinking about like just off task and then i'm like what am i doing yeah and it may have been you that that said this and i think jordan peterson has mentioned it some but he's like actually have 
two dialogues going on in your head and let them argue and you watch it. Mm-hmm. And then that's how you figure your, what you believe and your ideas out. That really helped me. Oh, yeah. yeah that's, when, that, that's when you decide what, which one you're going to buy into. Mm. You know, now it's that diffuse state. Now I don't have to just own it. I can challenge it. It's, it's like we were saying how the fear trickles in the other areas is uh, if we don't face that trigger, if we don't finally come to a realize and go, wait a minute, is this based off of logic or is this just purely fear is trying to bully me into not doing something? That makes sense because that it, you're safe, keeps yes. you comfortable. Yes. Yeah. And so we always, we always want to go not knowing that actually our comfort zone uh, becomes our prison. And, and so what we really need to do is embrace the uncomfortable because as soon as we start to embrace the uncomfortable, that's where the growth comes in. You just feel better. You know, that's why I um, started saying follow your fears. Mm-hmm. I was scared of everything. Yeah. Like um, my nervous system was so heightened and overwhelmed. Everything mm-hmm. bothered me. So I was like, I can't live like this. Yeah. Um, I'm going to have to make a change or this is not going to work well. Right. So that makes a lot of sense. Yes. Yes. And, and, and it's not until we do that that we get unstuck and we have to experience it oh yes yes even with our even with our thinking we could get stuck in this habitual uh uh, negative thought pattern this this mental memes that are unhealthy but they're habit we actually we see it growing up we we Mm -hmm. start to buy into it we do it ourselves. Uh, and it feels uncomfortable leaving those because it's what we know. And you get an emotional charge more from the negative, right? Oh, I, y- yes. I've had to get very comfortable with being bored, and that is uh, hard for me. Yeah, because we can. Unfortunately, we can start to become uh, addicted to the adrenaline that is being produced. Uh, yeah. You know, <laughs> by, by the drama here. and the thoughts. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, so. yeah, that's exactly right. Um, I, I also notice what helps me. I'm very physically active, mm-hmm. and I like doing adrenaline things, skydiving, motorcycles, whatever. Um, is to process and think about those things while I'm doing an activity. Yes. Uh, so working out, walking, that yes. kind of stuff, that yes. seems to help too. Yes. Well, because otherwise, if we get locked in that thought, um, we, we, we disassociate from reality and we're living into, let's say we're replaying something that has happened a long time ago, a negative event. And next thing you know, we're leaving reality and moving back into that past. Well, actually, that same perception that too, same right? Perception. Yep. What we're doing is actually re-traumatizing ourselves. So it's bringing it back up, something that's been dormant and, and dealt so with. We start because then the, the the subconscious floods the system like it's it's happening right now. But when you're starting to when you start to process that, but then you're doing something in the now, we go okay. That's like if we're talking about something and and um, I'm asking you questions, but at the same time. Uh, I'm tossing you, we're tossing Frisbees back and forth, you know. uh, It's easy. At that point, then we're talking about that. We're tossing a Frisbee, but we're also doing something in the now. Why does that happen? So I uh, always listen to books when I drive, Mm -hmm. and I can pay attention so well. And I'm very focused on the road, safe driver, Mm -hmm. but I just seem to be able to listen to books better when I'm doing an activity, something like that. Well, especially, oh yeah, especially for men. Um, this is, is it easily a man. Oh, That's funny. Yeah. Is it temperament or like? Well, think of the, think of this: is that <clears throat> oftentimes we could sit across from a guy and go and say, "Hey, tell me what you feel," uh, especially even adolescent boys, and they'll just get this look on your their face and go, oh, "I'm fine." But if you happen to do something called incidental communication. And that's where you're doing something like tossing a football or some guys playing golf or 
um, driving. Well, at that point, what we're doing is they're more prone, we're more prone as, as men to start having a, a conversation. And so because we're not thinking about the norms, are we allowed to express this? That makes a lot of sense. And see, that's the big thing, especially, and I always tell, um, especially moms that have adolescent or or, uh, younger boys, is that if you just have, if you say, come over here and sit down, let's talk, you're going to get this blank look on your face. All they're hearing is like Charlie Brown and the, 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 the teacher that wah, 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 wah. wah. But if you go and say, hey, let's go do something then at that point, they're going to open up more to you. Uh, or kind of wear, take that energy out a yes. little bit. Yeah. So is that almost the same thing? Because a lot of the times I know um, I, I, I'm more I'm more emotional. Mm-hmm. Um, and not necessarily that I'm boo-hoo, but I feel things pretty deeply. Um, and when I'm, so when I'm doing something and I'm feeling that, I try to stay in my body. Mm-hmm. Like, so I, I always tell myself, go back to your body, go back to your body. Mm-hmm. It allows me to release the emotion mm-hmm. as I'm writing or mm-hmm. as I'm trying to make a new perception about the event. Right, right. Well, at that point, you're, you're actually dealing with something. Again, um, too often we, we practice avoidance. We, we stuff without dealing. It makes it so much worse. It, 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 it does because we really weren't designed to carry all that around mm-hmm. with us. Uh, that's why processing it, that's why talking about it, that's why uh, logging about it. Um, and, and some people call it journaling. And there's also something we need to look at even when we do write it, is that we got to remember that there is a window of time that is extremely therapeutic if you're starting to journal. Okay. And that's only about a 15-minute window. Uh, some people go, yeah, I write for hours. But yet, after about 15 minutes, it's counter-therapeutic. That makes, so it's almost like um, when you're having a conversation with somebody, they're not complaining mm-hmm. that they need to process something. They ask right. you, do you have time for me to process that with you? Right. But then it gets to a point, like, and they're done, and then mm-hmm. they start talking about it again, yeah. and you get that weird feeling, like, okay, that, that's done. Yeah. Well, and, and that's why what we want to do is we want to be in charge of the emotion, not the emotion in charge of us. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I, I, I'll, I'll inform people to go, okay, if you're, if you're uh, dealing with stuff, write it out. But write it out for about 15 minutes. But at the end of that 15 minutes, what you want to do is because the mind will lock in on the very last thing that you, you write, end it with about five minutes of gratitude. So now we've just switched it. So for about 15 minutes, we're writing 10 to 15 minutes is the therapeutic state where we're writing it out, where we're logging it down. But then right at that point, end it with that. And I call that the purge section. We're purging all this fears, worries, concerns out. But then for the next five minutes, focus on the gratitude and start writing that out. I'm not texting, not typing, because it doesn't hit the same area of the brain as writing it out. It's strange. Yeah, Yeah, because I I really enjoy organization and structure, but man, when I write, it's like, I don't know, so much more effective to me. Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, it's good stuff. Um, Man, I forgot what I was going to ask you. I had a good point on that. Um, Oh, for men. So I I know what I really appreciated about you, um, you're masculine presenting. So, you know, anytime I see or I, when I recommend people to someone, like if the guy's kind of nervous about it or mm-hmm. he's kind of, you know, a little more masculine, a little more chest out, 
Um, it was nice to have someone that was assertive in that mm-hmm. type of personality, a more dominant personality mm-hmm. that could really sit down and listen and help someone express their emotions. Right. So th- right. I wish I wish there was more people like that that would enter the field. Well, and that's the whole thing is that there's such a hunger to connect with people, mm-hmm. you know, um, not to be judged by them, not to be have everything that they say critiqued, uh, but to actually have somebody in in a position that that cares and they listen to the individual again without any judgment no that makes sense um uh but not to because sometimes people could come across and it's kind of like look at me as soon as that look at me starts to pop out then the other person starts to feel uh, a, a less willingness to share with that individual because this other sense. individual is making it about them. That makes sense. And I learned a long time ago, it's never been about me. It never has been. It never will be. Oh, that's you know? Yeah, you do say that a lot. That is true. Yeah, yeah I've noticed um, even when I'm working with clients, like I will use an example from my life occasionally, mm-hmm. but it's probably like one out of 10 stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it allows them to bond somewhat with me and oh, for sure. me to open up. Sure. Um, but no, I, I see what you mean. If you're always, every time someone says something, they're like, well, this one time I did this and mm-hmm. go on. Yeah. It makes you shut down. That makes a lot of sense. Oh yeah. 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 So it is. It, and that's why it, it, uh, people are, I think it was, um, uh, Robert Blake, the author, not the actor, uh, who once wrote that we never in the history of society have we lived in such a prosperous time but also never in the history of society have we lived in such an isolated time. That's so true. Yeah. We're yeah. Like, I guess it's um, probably a product of uh, social media is really new. And mm-hmm. it's almost like we feel like we're connecting, but it's like, it's like taking a drug. Yeah. You get that high first, and yeah. then you crash after. Yeah, and, th- and that's the thing. It doesn't take place because when we, when we watch something on social media, or we're, we're on or even watch things from that's that's why the I, I really seen that the lockdowns had a negative effect on people because now what they're doing is just observing life. They're observing what's going on. They're not involved with it. Mm. And there's a big difference. I can observe something but not be involved with it. And so when you take all those months of not being able to connect or be a part um, that, that starts to isolate us, uh, and that perpetuates more of a fear state. No, so I even have um, clients that have kids that were between like two, three, and four during that time. Yeah, and that socialization period yes. is so important. Yeah, um, and they're almost talking about they almost have to do extra activities to yes. really catch them up emotionally. Yes, yes, it, it, people don't understand how important that part is. You know, they they need to be around others. They they need to. Uh, that's how kids, younger ones, um, will start to learn is by seeing even, for example, what the emotion is on your face. So they mimic. They mimic. Yeah. Uh, you look at it from the ages, basically from uh, uh, birth to seven. That's their theta stage. That's where they're taking in all this information. That's a survival instinct. Yeah, and they're, they're watching you. They're, they're trying to learn how to do life. And so they're seeing your expressions. They're watching. They're being a part of it. So when you remove all of that, it hinders them. So, 
Um, I was also going to ask you about, and this is really, I'm very passionate about this subject. So my early 20s, I can remember getting stuck in looping thoughts for six months. Mm -hmm. Like I'm so hyperactive, nervous system shot, did not know how to get out of it. Mm -hmm. Never necessarily um, had suicidal thoughts, Mm -hmm. but it definitely put me in a deep depression. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it paralyzes you. I had to get a part-time job, couldn't work full-time. And that's when I started to choose to get help. But there are so many suicides the past two years, especially in teenagers and, and yes. men. Yes. Um, what do you think about that? What do you think the cause? Like, is there anything we can do about that? Is there strategies to like help get ahead of it? Yeah, and I think, you know, and this is, some might not agree with this, but I think that's the real pandemic. I think the pandemic was the, the increase because it has skyrocketed. Well, I agree with you. You know, the, the, the suicide and the mental health, I think that was the true pandemic. And again, that's just me. Others might not agree with it, and that's okay. Uh, but that's why now is, is to, to reach out. And it, that's the big thing, is because we don't know somebody's going through something until we know they're going through it. No, they can hide it so, people adapt. You can oh, hide it so well. You, you can, and I, and I think for us, the, the more we are open and encouraging about getting help, that it is not that you're weak or not that you're stuck or not or stuck. Yeah, we do get stuck in it, but not that we're weak or incapable. But what we're doing is the strongest people that I know are the ones that are getting help because they're actually doing something about the issue. It's taking a risk, right? Ta- to get, taking a risk. Yeah. So that's why we encourage those. If somebody's struggling or if we see a change, major change in their behavior or they're isolating more is, you know what, reach out. Um, the more we could reach out, the more we could encourage them, the more that uh, uh, we could kind of walk alongside of somebody, you know. It doesn't mean that we have to know everything what to say. Uh, a lot of times just listening a lot of times just being there you know so no that makes sense so um i i really struggled like finding a um a father figure growing Mm up um Mm -hmm. i i I probably picked about three or four men picked traits from them that i that i thought were manly Mm -hmm. and it turned out pretty well but one of my favorites was uh, Billy Adamson's. he's passed away now but i remember i'd go over to his house he was a couple blocks down the road and um, he would just sit there and listen to me. Mm. Like, I mean, he'd let me talk for 10 or 15 minutes, just what was going on with me or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that helped me probably more than anything else. Yes. Any advice I've ever been given, like nothing. Just him sitting there listening to me. And he, and oh, he, yeah. and he listened. He yes. looked at me, nodded. You know, he said yes, all those types of things. And I still remember that. Yeah, that yes. meant a lot to me. Oh, yeah. I can't remember. It was Socrates or Plato that says that, you know, uh, we have two ears and one mouth. So we are to do twice amount as listening as we are to speak. And that is what people just want to be heard. I mean, people want to know that you care. And how do you know if somebody cares? Well, one way is if they're listening to you, you know, that they're not busy um, uh, doing something else while you're talking to them, you know, that they're that you're a part of their life at that point. When you're listening to somebody, you're a part of their life. When you're in the now with them. It's like you step in, I guess. You, you step in. Uh, so, so many times uh, people will go, I'm doing this, uh, but I'm still listening to you. Well, now there's something about the eye contact. There's something about them asking questions, 
like help me understand tell me more what was that like for you it's like saying i don't mean to offend you and then oh. they say the oh, offensive yes. thing yes yes um uh, there, there's many a time that i not many times there have been quite a few times where i had to if somebody came in and they're they're seeking my services and they they start to pull out their phone and text uh, at that point i'll stop and i'll say you know what one this is disrespectful uh two we're not going to get that far if we are kind of a double thought processed which is trying to listen to therapy but at the same time focus on your phone yeah but say that like breaks so it breaks focus and then i don't know how long it takes for you to get back in focus it takes me a minute like oh, if, if, yes. if I get distracted on something else like that. Yes. And so uh, I'm a firm believer there needs to be uh, no phone zones. And at times, you know, where we are off of the phone, uh, and especially when we're with other people, that we're engaged with them. Well, yeah, because, man, I guess if you went out and you're on your phone the whole time, it was like you were by yourself. You're, so your world is your perception. So it's, yeah, you're focused it, all on this. Oh, yeah. And think about this. It's not so much what we say that people listen to is what they do. And so if somebody says, you know, I really care for you, but all of a sudden they start to look down and they focus on their phone and they're going through all that. Uh, well, they're telling you through their behavior, what? I don't really. Yeah. Yeah. Re- really, so attention is love. Stepping into somebody else's space mm-hmm. and allowing them to express what's going on and you hold space for them, that's really how you show you care. Yes, yeah. yes. And it is. And, and I always tell people I, I hear all kinds of things on a daily uh, on, a, on a daily basis um, I hear things but it's always the behavior and it's and it's even when people are in relationships uh, people could say a whole lot of things but if their behavior does not reflect what they're saying always trust their behavior Makes sense. You know, yeah, you can't trust the emotion and what's going on. Because I, I could tell you I, I care about whatever, but if you do not see my behavior reflect that, then you need to be focused on my behavior. You know, it's important what we say uh, internally, externally, but it's also important that people realize is that I got to make sure that I'm walking my talk. So. Make, makes sense. Uh, and I notice you, you post a lot and say things about behavior. Yeah. So it's, it's good to, to express and, and to be there for somebody and feel that emotion. Mm-hmm. But you're really in the back focused on, okay, what did they do this week? Or yes. did they follow through on their stuff? If they yes. didn't, what's blocking that? Yes, yeah. that, that's correct. Um, because it, I, I do, I give a lot of homework, you know, when I'm sitting across from somebody. But the homework is there for a reason. It's always focused on getting them unstuck. Wherever they're at at that point, they're coming in to, to talk to me or they're talking to you because they are stuck in a specific area. Well, if they want to get unstuck, that means they're going to have to do some things differently. They're going to have to increase their, their knowledge uh, and then take action. In fact, um, the definition of being transformed, be it physically, emotionally, relationally, is information you get the information plus consistent application of that information equals transformation transformation is nothing more than a byproduct of what we do with the information that we're given that makes how how long does it usually take for someone to transform in into a new state well and, and it depends on uh, every person is unique it depends on the priority they give to it 
Uh, for example, um, we know that even physically, if somebody's coming in and they want to get healthier physically, the, the first thing that is given to them is information on how to do it. Okay, this is the diet, this is what you focus on, this is what you start to remove, this is what you start to replace it with, uh, this is how many times you exercise. Well, the more consistent they are with that, well, at that point, they be, th there's a transformation that happens. Well, if somebody is inconsistent, and I once heard that uh, Satan thrives in our inconsistencies, um, the more inconsistent we are with something, the less likely we're going to see the fluidity of the transformation and the more frustration is going to come out. I think he lives at my house sometimes. Uh, he can, <laughs> yeah, it kind of knocks at the door for all of us, I think. So if someone's like super overwhelmed, like um, can't even like not even doing basic things like cooking for themselves, house is messy, very anxious, looping thoughts like how do you work with someone like that? Do you just have them start very, very small mm -hmm. and then move forward from there? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the whole thing is that um, a lot of times it just takes these little steps. Well, what's interesting with these little steps is that they start to ripple out and affect other things. Okay. Just like you talked about earlier, the, the negative things can jump into those other things. Absolutely. Um, and, and we think about it also transformation starts from the inside out, right? Those, those harmful things come from an outside in. That make, that's true. You yeah. see? Ah, so we have to control our perception of the events around us, but we also have to be assertive enough and in control to yes. change from within, and then we start to experience it outwardly we start to focus on those other things see a lot of times what we have a tendency of doing is focusing on the things that one we cannot control the more we focus on the things that we can't control the more it limits what we what we can control we, we don't take action um, for example we start to worry about the future what if what might what's going to happen when and we could become overwhelmed with that very easy to do that but realizing is that we, can, we cannot control the future. I can influence the future, but I can't control it. So I got to ask myself, okay, what do I need to do today? Well, the more we focus on the future tense, the more anxious we get. Or a lot of times we will start to ruminate on things from the past. And the more we ruminate on the things for past, we can't control the past. The past is the past. It is gone. Uh, but we start to become more depressed, more uh, shame feel, more guilt. Well, now I'm stuck. It always goes back to one, what can I control? The more I can control something, the more I'm working from the inside out. The more I focus on the things I can't control, that's the outside in. Well, it's almost like it's a good way to waste energy and not really have to do anything. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that's where it keeps you safe. Oh, it keeps. And this is what's weird is that um, there's a behavioral rule of thumb is that people do things because there's a payoff behind them. Right or wrong, real or imagined, good or bad. Um, unfortunately, we could start to loop things and worry about stuff. Uh, the more we worry about stuff, and worry does not equate to doing anything nope. except keeping you stuck. In fact, worrying is like getting from here, Bowling Green, Kentucky, to Nashville, Tennessee in a rocking chair. The harder you do it, the more you do it, the more you go backwards. Now, I'd rather be, I'm concerned about things, but concern equals action. Worry just perpetuates stress, and, and um, uh, it does. That also acts as a, as a prison. I remember talking to one person, I go, 
worrying. You know, anybody else in your family uh, worry? Oh, yeah, I come from a long line of warriors. Oh, they got the nervous system and the behavioral part. Yes, and so here they go. They're just perpetuating something that has kept them all stuck for, for generations. And it's not until we get uncomfortable leaving the worry identifying what I can control and then doing that. And that's when somebody feels overwhelmed. Oftentimes they are focused on things that are out of their control. And when you narrow that focus on, okay, what is one specific thing that you can control? Even, and and I'm a firm believer in lists, but sometimes people will write down a list. These are all the things I have to do today. And there's like 20 20 things. Got a book. Oh, here, here's, here's that big long list. Well, the mind will start to be overwhelmed. And then the next thing you know, you're doing other things except the stuff that is on the book. I guess it gets you in that adrenal state. It, it, you, you will start to then pick up your phone more. Or uh, you, it's not on your list, but you'll then go and uh, uh, take the trash out. Well, the trash might be on it. That's fine. But you, anything, anytime that we get overwhelmed, we'll start to avoid that list. So you might have a master list, but what I encourage people to do is take three things off of that at a time and just focus on three things. That works so well. Oh. I think that's where I read it from was from you. That, yes. that's, I don't know. It's like it like uh, it's like it puts you into this box and everything else is blocked out. And, Every, you, and yes. you, it's like your laser focus instead of bright like there broad flashlight focused. You're less likely to be overwhelmed. You identify those three things, and I always start with the three big ticket items, as Covey used to call it. But the 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 three items, and I'll start with the one I don't want to do the most first. Momentum. And because then everything else is a piece of cake. But I knock those three out, and then I celebrate it. When I say celebrate it, then I go do something. I might go for a walk, or I might, you know, uh, uh, do something that I want to enjoy, having a, a coffee or a tea or something. But then I will bring another three items down, and I'll focus on those three items. So how we view something directly affects how that something affects us. And you can can just continue getting better and more productive. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, so it's just like those three stages at a time. Yes. Is that why, so that's how we receive serotonin one Mm -hmm. way, right? So Mm -hmm. is that why men that are more conscientious or industrial are calm, typically? Uh, If they're action-oriented and they get stuff done, they're disciplined, they have a routine? Yeah, think of it, uh, I would uh, ask your, your listeners too, is when they see everything that they have not gotten done, what emotional state are they in? Oh, I'd be depressed because I have lists too. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, and then what happens is at the end of the day, then you start to beat yourself up over that. Focus, fire, and the emotion, start looping. You start looping. Instead of uh, come to a point where you stop beating yourself up and go, okay, what I'm going to do is going to bring it down to three. Well, the more things that you get off your list and the more you accomplish those three items, the more calm you get, the, the less distracted, you know, and that's where you're talking about there's they're not that sense of being overwhelmed. So. Uh, so calming my nervous system down really helped me with that because when I would do that, it would calm me down, mm-hmm. and then I felt uncomfortable mm-hmm. because I'm not used to being calm. Yeah. So, I, so it was almost like I need that initial small adrenaline to take the action, mm-hmm. but then almost to calm down into almost uh, 
a little bit of a sleepy state. That mm-hmm. helps me focus more and get creative. But if I stay in that heightened state, I just want to get up and do something else. Right, yeah. right, right. Yeah, and that's the, that's the thing. That's where, like, we go back to realizing that uh, we need that performance, and there's performance anxiety that we need, or uh, you, you and I both know playing sports, that's something, that, that little nervousness, that little, that's good for you. But when it's prolonged, that's when it becomes toxic. Oh, man. And, and that then prolonged state can start to become our familiar state. Now we're going to give ourselves permission to be uncomfortable by having that first state, that performance state, to do what we need to do, but then to give ourselves permission to stay away from it, you know, to allow ourselves. And the, the thought when we start to think, God, this is boring. Well, is it boring or am I just in a healthier state? Well, now instead of fusing to the boring state, I'm now defusing to, well, wait a minute, this is actually healthy for me, you know? Uh, and, and, and bless my wife's heart, sometimes I get, get going and going and I don't take time to stop if I'm doing stuff outside and, and, uh, and she goes, you need to pause. So she's, she's kind of my therapist. I'm afraid of her anyway. So. Oh yeah. 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 She's, 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 uh, I definitely married up. Um, and so, because I could tell myself, God, I gotta get this done. I gotta get this done. I gotta get this done. But then when I pull back and I'm fused to that. So then I, you could work yourself to a point of exhaustion or heat stroke. Well, okay. I'm going to, I'm going to do what I can do when it's cooler. And then I'm going to be healthier by going inside, you know, cooling down a little bit and then picking it back up when it starts to get cooler again. That makes sense. You know, well, now I didn't take ownership of that. I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm failing if I don't get everything done to no, this is a healthy thing for me to do. You know, this is something that is going to be actually good and, and going to help the next time I go out. So is that why people that try to do that struggle, the, the more people that beat themselves up? Because yeah. they'll say, this is the healthy thing to do, and they start to do it, and then what happens? Those intrusive thoughts, those voices come in. Yes. And you gave me an example one time that was great and helped me so much. It, I think it was like the, the stern father. Um, oh, the three voices. Yeah. Yeah, you, uh, there, there are these three voices that go on in our head, um, and those are the parent voice, the child voice, and the adult voice. And, and so the example that I use is, let's say I go home, and I see on our kitchen cabinet a pound bag of double stuffed Oreos. Well, the parent voice automatically will go, you pig, don't you even think about picking that up. Who do you think you are? You have zero willpower. Well, as soon as that voice hits, there's something called the innate response mechanism, which, which is basically that child then voice will come over and say, hey, watch. Rebellion. Yeah, we rebel against it. And so we go, okay, not only am I going to eat that pound bag of double stuffed Oreos, I'm going to chase it down with a pint of chocolate chip ice cream and ice cold milk. That's a coma. Oh, yeah. And so then there's that battle that goes in. What I want to do is always tap into the adult voice. You know what? I like double stuffed. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to eat three and then I'm going to go do something. You know, I'm going to go outside. I'm going to go for a walk, but I'm going to, I'm going to eat the three and then I'm going to go on. 
there's no argument, there's no debate, you know, there's no put downs. And it's weird, the more we beat ourselves up over something, the more we're going to repeat that which we're beating ourselves up over. And is that still a protective mechanism? Are we still just trying to, to not take action out of fear of, of the unknown? Or is it just different for everybody? Yeah, it could be different for everybody. The, the thing of it is, is that people will sometimes will think, well, I got to beat myself up to stop this. So counterproductive. Oh, it is. You're just going to repeat it. Um, it goes back to something called the belief behave become cycle. What I believe about myself is how I behave toward myself and ultimately what I become. But it's also what I believe about others or my situation is how I be behave toward others or my situation. And then it becomes what it is that I am focused on. So if I see myself as God, I'm, 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 I'm always a failure. I, I can't maintain a diet for anything those absolute words too that's, it, that's a sith language right star wars oh <laughs> they only deal in absolutes and, and so that's what that's what happens but we do we speak in absolutes i can't i'm a failure any any time that you add i am on the front of any statement is the most makes it that much more powerful De uh, you're declaring that yes right? this is my declaration i am a failure i i always uh, fail diets. Well, then we behave in a way that reflects it and we become it. You know, we, we go back to, okay, let's, let's see it from a different perspective. Now I can struggle with diets. Well, that's totally different. You know, I, it's normal too. I it's, mean, it's normal. Putting your body into a hunger state. Oh. Yeah. It's going to be going crazy on you for the first little bit. Absolutely. So I'm just going to change the way I, I view it. I have to also change the way I view myself. Because sometimes we could carry these uh, maladaptive tapes that we've heard about ourselves for years. And it's not even our stuff, is no, it? A lot of times it's like just w the perception of someone else yes. and then we carry it. We don't even know we're doing we're it. We're not even doing it. I do that sometimes. Oh, yeah. So we start to loop it and then we start to behave in a way that reflects it. And then we become it. Makes yeah. sense. So if, if someone's really sensitive and is stuck in that pattern of beating themselves up, mm -hmm. what would you... How do you work with someone like that to catch themselves? Like, mm -hmm. if if their emotion is so charged and they're so used to going to that state, like, what do you do for somebody like that? And, and there's a lot of uh, different things depending on the, the individual. You want to use the tool that best suits them. But one thing is to create an awareness that we're doing it because sometimes we're not even aware that we're doing it. We just do it out of habit. Right. Okay. And so um, uh, there's a term called mindfulness, and there's the direct correlation between what goes on our, our happy little noggin and the rest of the system. And so the more we could start to become aware, all of a sudden we start to feel, uh, get a pit in our gut. Yeah. You know, we start to feel. Uh, you come back to your body. Yeah, you go back. You start to feel what's going on. You start to on. feel what's going on and go, oh, wait a minute. I, I, I feel anxious. Okay. I feel anxious because I'm thinking what? Because a lot of times people think it's the situation that's creating the stress or the anxiety, but it's our interpretation of that, that situation. Victor Frankel. Yes. And so we, we take a look at, okay, I'm feeling anxious because I am thinking what? Now I'm creating an awareness. And then I, that's where I go and I go, now I have to separate myself from that negative thought. You're, For, you're feeling that emotion in the body and then you're becoming aware of what you're thinking. Yes. It makes sense. And yeah. then, then you switch it. Uh, it's like if somebody, uh, let's say somebody is about ready to head off to go to a party, 
Okay, and they're getting ready, and and the closer the time get, they start to feel more anxious. They get this pit in their stomach. I don't know why I'm so nervous. I don't know what's going on. Okay, I'm I'm anxious because I'm thinking what, and that's a good technique is for a minute just write down whatever you're thinking. Say it out loud, whatever you're thinking for one minute, and then it's like oh okay. I'm afraid that these people are going to reject me, or they they're not want me there at the party. Okay, well, now I became aware of my body first, and then I went to identifying I'm feeling anxious because uh, uh, I am thinking, and I go, wait a minute, and now I'm going to challenge it. I'm not quite sure what they're saying, thinking. I don't know what they're thinking. I don't even know how it's going to turn out. And you, I don't, can, you can never guess. It's so no, illogical. No, and we always guess to the negative. You know, we, we always assume to the negative. Very rarely do we assume to the positive. Well, I guess you get more, you get more of a rush with the negative. Like, are you more attracted to that? Well, I mean, we, we're, we're creating that uh, adrenaline state. Because, again, when we become anxious, one, anxiety is produced by fear. Fear of what if, what mights. Uh, but also it floods the system with adrenaline, noradrenaline, cortisol. Well, we can get a, addicted to that, that adrenaline. Or it could be familiar to us. Sounds like a great way to control people. Oh, it can. It can. Yeah. Yeah. Individually and collectively. Yeah. yeah I guess if you, well, well, I don't even watch the news anymore. I mean, no, yeah, no. I- any news. So going towards that negative state, um, it doesn't matter what I believe about the situation or what I know is going on yeah. that charge. Yeah. It, if you are not conscious and yeah. say, no, I'm not getting into that. I get caught up all in it. So I can't even touch it. Well, seeing that, and that's the big thing about the, the, the news, it perpetuates a continuum of a fear state. Mm-hmm. Well, if we're living in a fear state, then like we said before, it shuts down the actual, uh, it's the medial prefrontal cortex, our reasoning center or, or um, uh, that, that place where we can start to see things and challenge it. Well, it shuts that down, that dorsal uh, prefrontal cortex is where it goes. Well, there's no reasoning. So I get stuck in that, that fear state and I, can, and I loop and I loop and I loop. Well, now I'm looking to others to tell me what to do. I'm, I'm no longer up for it. Yeah, I'm no longer responding to it, but I'm reacting to it. And especially if you're disconnected from people, if you're not in the family unit or you're not involved in a family or a church or organization or anything like that, then you're alone. You're alone. Of course you're going to grab that. Oh, so then you're looking and then you hear, well, you need to do this or do that. And then we're taking advice from things that they don't even know. You know what I'm saying? And so it's, it's kind of guesswork. And so that perpetuates more confusion and more fear. It's so true, and a, a great, and I forgot who said this too, but I'm stealing it. A great way I found to neutralize that is when someone starts talking that way, mm-hmm. I almost feel them being possessed, and I yeah. say, you know, this doesn't sound like you. I've heard this before. Yes. Because they're repeating a narrative. Yes. Yeah, even if they don't even know what's going on. It's like they just repeat the narrative, and that's how they get people to follow them, and that's how you get in power. Yeah, unfortunately, if we're not careful, um, of course, I'm a firm believer in critical thinking. Uh, uh, we got to be careful that, that we're not thinking in sound bites. What do you mean by that? Uh, those narratives, those oh, little small, those small yeah, things, little charge things without looking at it in context. 
Makes so I could say Trump, Biden, and piss off a lot of people right now just from hearing those just words. Just those two words. And they literally charge that. They're a business. How they make money. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm not saying it's not smart, but we've got to be more responsible and conscious of those things and really work on ourselves and see what our weaknesses are. And I, and I guess a, 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 maybe it could be a good illustration. Um, it, it, we have to look at our thoughts uh, kind of like going to a buffet. Now, I stay away from buffets because I can yeah. be paid. But anyway, <laughs> you, it, it's like when you go to a buffet, and I ask you, you go to the buffet, what things do you put on your plate? Things that look fresh, that look like they'd be good for me. And some things maybe not, like small amounts, but mm-hmm. yeah. Do, do you ever put on uh, your plate things that you hate? No. <laughs> okay, no. now think of this. It, it's looking at our thoughts. So, okay. And this is, again, a little diffuse technique is where we start to have all these thoughts. Like I said, write them for a minute. Write down all your thoughts for a minute. Speak them out loud. But then you go, okay, which thought is actually going to contribute to my life, to to me, to my relationships, to my situation? And what are the ones that is actually going to contaminate my my life or my relationships or my situations? And then I'm going to choose to embrace the ones that are going to contribute. That makes sense. You know? Yeah. And so now you're selecting them. And you're in control. And I'm, I'm in control at that point. I think people, you know, I see a lot people think like personal responsibility is some old school mentality or being disciplined and all that stuff. It's truly loving yourself and being kind to yourself and developing those habits. Yes. Well, and that's the thing. Of if, if I'm constantly waiting for somebody else to make me feel a certain way, I'm always going to be stuck. You're a slave. I'm a slave to it. Um, we actually elevate that individual into a deity role. That makes, yeah. Yeah, because if we look at uh, even the definition of a deity, it's anything that directs our steps. That's scary. Yes, and so that's why um, e- even in relationships, um, uh, Kathy, the, the love of my life, uh, we've been married, we'll be going on 36 years, but... I also realize is that she's not responsible to make me happy. Um, now, we do things in relationships, and we call it you know, kind of like a mutual ministry. We, we want to understand what values the person and understand what devalues, and we want to perpetuate the, the, the value because we love them. Um, but she's, I'm, I'm responsible because as soon as I turn over that responsibility to somebody else, then I'm now a victim to whatever happens. A lot of resentment can be built there, too. Oh, they're not doing this, so you start to build resentment. Or they're not uh, making me happy. You know, it's like, well, no, that's not where it is. What would you say, um, how do you guys approach each other if there's conflict? Or or if there's just a disagreement, or, or you just need to say something? Like, Okay. What's, the, what's the best way? Because, I, it's because you're both therapists, I've always wondered this. You don't have yeah, to answer this. I, I, I she can come at, in here if she wants to. I don't see, care. I, I'm looking back to see if Kathy's... <laughs> she's yeah, back there on the couch in my office. Yeah, she's, she's listening. Uh, this is something I tell people. After 36 years, um, we had this, uh, when we first got married, this um, uh, agreement. Uh, all the, the major decisions I'd make and all the minor decisions she'd make, and after 36 years, there's been no major decisions. <laughs> and so Kathy, you better get in here to defend yourself <laughs> no but the what we do is if there there is a conflict the one thing that we don't want to do is avoid 
Man, that can become such a habit. You can get stuck in that. You could get Ugh. stuck in it because avoidance doesn't do anything. But I also have to look at, um, uh, I'm going to pay $0.10 cents for a $0.10 cent problem and $10 for a $10 problem. Um, sometimes people will make these $0.10 cent issues a $10 issue, and it's not. Mm-hmm. There's some things that you just, you can, you just go, oh, it's, it's no big deal. In the big scheme of things, it's nothing. But if there's something that has gone on that really is bothering you um one of the first approaches is that instead of you don't want to go and attack is that you just want to practice something called share speak um other when we attack each other it falls into competitive speak we're we're trying to compete who's going to win who's going to lose yeah yeah and that's what it is is that we're not no we're no longer interested in hearing them to understand it's more hearing them to reply and so when we're, when we're share speaking, it would say if something took place, uh, I would go, uh, hey, w- when this happened, I first described the situation or the event. When this took place, then I described what I felt or thought about that situation. What you felt. What I felt. Not, I'm not telling them that what they're thinking. Uh, I'm saying, okay, when this took place, I felt this or I thought this. Um, then I give my expectation. This is what I would like to see different, you know. Uh, and then I would turn it over to them. your thoughts on it. I just I'm I'm just sharing this with you. And then it could be a complete misunderstanding. I did not mean oh. it that way at all. I apologize. This is what I was was trying yes. to get across. Yeah, and and that's a very good point. Is because one thing we often do is is just go right at, well, they're making me mad. Assume. Assume. And so one of the, also the first steps is to take a look at yourself, do some introspective. You go, okay, what took place here? Was it really something they did or was it how I interpreted it? Because unfortunately, if we're not careful, a good 60 to 65% of our communication, especially with those people we're in relationships with, is fear driven. That's why I wear a spacesuit now. Oh, you know, <laughs> it is. It's 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 fear driven. Uh, let's say I have a fear of failure, and I'm doing something at home, and then Kathy happens to come up to me and she says, "Well, Rick, why are you doing it that way?" Well, they're just words, Rick. Why are you doing it that way? But let's say I have a fear of failure. Fear of failure is misinterpreting what she says by telling me what she's saying. What? She's saying that she wants you to proceed with with what's happening, or 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 you're not doing it good enough. Ah, see, my yeah, yeah, my yeah. fear is I, telling me. I was so much thinking about you guys. I was like, she wouldn't say that. No, you? she would. She wouldn't <laughs> Sorry, say it. Yeah. And I was like, whoa, wait a second. No, she and she really would. But but my fear is saying she's saying that you're not doing it good enough, or that you're inadequate. And if you felt that in the past or by a parent or you've been rejected. Here it goes. It comes so to the familiar, surface. And yes. it's kind of knocking like, hey, I remember this. That's why we don't fuse with that fear. What we do is we go and we ask. We kind of move from the, the uh, atomic nervous system to the paranervous system. And so what we're doing is we're switching by asking. I'm doing direct control instead of assuming. I will go, okay. Uh, Kathy, when I was working on this, I'm describing the situation, when I was working on this, and then um, uh, I heard you say, Rick, why are you doing it that way? I felt that I was not good enough or that I was doing it wrong or that I was doing it inadequate. And then I might just ask, is that how you meant it? She could just be curious. Yeah, uh, and, like, yes, no, I didn't mean I just was curious because I got to do the same thing. Yeah. 
I, I want, I'm trying to learn. Yeah. And, oh. and then at that point, okay, good. Then, then we're done versus uh, fuming on it for hours, if not days. And then it comes out in our behavior and we, and you know what? I used to be able to pout with the best of them. It's like resentment yes. keeps building. You think of all the other stuff. Yes. You kind of like maybe hit in the dark. And then you start to, well, they, they're also probably thinking this or that. Again, that fear will ripple out to other avenues. Mm-hmm. You know, It's like being possessed. Well, and what's wild is because there's about a two-inch swab on the back of our uh, brain next to our spinal area called the reticular activating system. And this is where... Um, it's important because it brings in information from all of our senses except our olfactory that goes right to the limbic section Um, and it brings in all this information uh, through our senses and it starts to create a file so to speak Um, such as okay uh, I, I see myself as a failure okay well then what happens it goes out and do does a, a data search it's looking for information that reflects it, even though it's an assumption. It's having a party. It's yeah. at, and so it's pulling in. This, well, you see, this person just walked by me, and they didn't say anything to me. They think I'm a failure, too. That, that makes sense. See? Even stepping back and looking at that. Yes. Yeah. We get so caught up in our world. Like, it's yes. just unconscious. Like, oh, we just jump into it. We jump right into it. That's why it's really important for us not to buy into everything we think. It's just thoughts, right? They're, they're thoughts. Um, and we have these intrusive thoughts. In naming the thought, that's an intrusive thought. That is an unhealthy thought. That is a negative thought. That is, that it, I, and I will use it, I will call these thoughts bullies. Mm-hmm. These, the fear thoughts. They're, they're bullying me, you know? Uh, well, how you stand up to a bully, you face it. It's that assertiveness. It's that bringing on that assertiveness, yes. I've noticed that it seems to be therapy. That's what it's really about, teaching the individual to be assertive with their life. I, I know for yeah. me, um, yeah. even growing up, so I was so stuck in survival state. Like, mm-hmm. I, I was a decent basketball player in high school, um, but didn't play that much, didn't do well, just got in front of people, got oversensitive and heightened and all those type of things. So living mm-hmm. in that survival state and reacting mm-hmm. like that, mm-hmm. it just doesn't work. No. Um, but the perception shift, what you're talking about, what you focus on. Mm-hmm. So when I got to college, I was playing basketballs with buddies mm-hmm. and, you know, in uh, Preston. And um, he's like, hey, man, it's like, you're not nervous. You're excited to be playing basketball. And yeah. he said it in such a way it was like positive and he was happy. Yes. He was like, you're going to be on my team. This is great. You know, I wasn't nervous any after that. It yeah. was that easy to fix it. That's you're taking a switch. Now you're not owning or fused to that negative state. You challenged it and you replaced it. When you challenge, it's almost like it becomes this little bitty like monster, like, like just. Oh, yeah. You're not uh, feeding it. No, it's almost like having that fear because it is. It's fear based. Uh, that fear is kind of like a, a chihuahua with a big voice. Oh, they all have those. <laughs> oh, yeah. They're just like, and, and so that fear is like a chihuahua with a big voice. When you finally see it for what it is. So it's shaking. Oh, yeah. It's shaking now. It's making all this noise, but it's, it's shaking. And you think, wait a minute. All these years, this has been directing my steps. I've been afraid of this. It's almost funny. Yeah. You know, and, and there comes a realization to it. Now we start to move away from it you see but we got to also replace uh rule of thumb is if you take something away you got to replace it or it's going to come back it's going to come back so you replace that with a healthier thought not a pollyanna thought um uh, it's 
thoughts kind of fall into healthy, unhealthy. Is this healthy? Is this unhealthy? If it's unhealthy, then I'm going to replace it with healthy. When you replace the healthy, it's going to take a minute for you to start feeling oh, better, oh, right? You're not yes. going to feel better immediately. No, and see, that's what people will give into is that they often go, well, I still don't feel. I still don't feel. Well, the feeling is based off of, again, our thoughts, um, even belief systems. A belief system is nothing more than a repetitive thought. Continuous. Continu yeah. Yes. Uh, that old saying, if you hear something long enough, you tend to believe it. Well, here's this thought, and we, we flip it. Well, we don't quite feel the change yet. One, because of these lichen chemicals, the neuropeptides, the neurotransmitters, and the, the hormones that have been anxious for, for a long period of time. Well, but the more we do it, the more it starts to affect you know, uh, how we start to feel. The consistency is that, and is anything in life, the consistency is the key. Does it get weaker, or just sometimes does it get really strong and try to fight back if it was really concrete in place? If it was really concrete in place, um, it really comes out strong about the, the 14th day that we're, we're doing it, right around the second week. Is it like a fear goodbye? Well, th there's a fear wall that crops up and tries to have us go back to the old way of doing things. But the more I name it, oh, I understand that this is the fear wall. It's trying to keep me stuck. Then I'm going to go ahead and power through this. And it's usually slick, too. It if, is. if the aggression doesn't work, it's like, oh, wait, no, that, they didn't mean it like that. Just don't say anything this time. Yes. And then it's passively rolling back into that old pattern. Oh, or it will say, you know what? You're doing better. You don't have to do this anymore. Oh, man, that's so good. It's like, oh, your brain is so intelligent. Oh, trying to, ugh. Trying to, it's trying to keep you safe, but it's keeping you stuck, like from progressing. It's trying to keep you, and even think this, it's trying to keep you in the familiar, not even safe. That makes, yeah. It's trying to keep you in the familiar. It just knows what you're feeling, has no idea what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. That makes, that makes a lot of sense with that. That's, that's very helpful. I know for me, it's almost like um, I got almost arrogant to a point when I got out of my survival mode. Mm -hmm. I was like, I'm assertive. I can do all this. Kind of like a young guy's like, you know, yeah. attitude or whatever. And it bit me in the butt. I went right back to that survival mode just as quick as I transitioned um, from that to, to my other state. But after that happened, uh, I've got to be a little more humble. So I caught myself mm -hmm. in that. Oh, yeah. And it's weird because uh, 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 Kathy and I, um, we got uh, a few months ago uh, a new pet. It is a, if people are familiar with the Cane Corsos, they're, they're this Italian Mastiff. You got a dragon. Oh, he's, he's, he's huge. He's uh, uh, now a year old and about 140 plus oh pounds. And they grow until about two or three but it's really interesting that breed of dog has a they're dominant dogs but it is a controlled dominance they calm they're calm they're a controlled dominance is that you, they just look at you it's a presence there. they they don't when we're kind of talking about chihuahuas before and no offense to people who have chihuahuas but they want to make their presence known. Mm -hmm. it, it's kind of like the difference between a Barney Fife and a highway patrolman. That's a great example. You know, yeah, you I love gotta, Barney Fife, though. Oh, yeah. Barney Fife, I like it, too. But it's like, I got a gun. I got a gun. You know, he's trying to prove something. Mm -hmm. Because that proving something is also directed by fear. It means you actually don't believe. Yes. They're fear of that. I, you know, I got to prove this because they might see me as such and such. 
versus that the highway patrol and i got some really good friends that are uh in in the state patrol and they go there's a calm they'll be nice but there's an authority about Mm -hmm. them well that's like i look at uh finn our dog there's just a controlled dominance it's like bred into them it is they're ancient breeds anyway they used to be called roman dog warman war dogs and and they would go out and that's what they did and there there's just a protective nature about but they're they're calm you know it's so cool to see that that can actually coexist within each other oh yes yes so hopefully that makes sense. No, it does make sense. Mm-hmm. And I think you mentioned, too, they're kind of like bodyguards. Like, they don't leave you. They, like, get in between. They get in between, yeah. And, and I tell you what, Finn, uh, Finn loves his mama. And so it's like anything is if a, another dog or somebody uh, will come over to her, what he does is he'll get in between them. They're the most affectionate so dogs. Smart. They're, they're brilliant dogs. They're highly intelligent. Um, uh, uh, so I always encourage people, uh, yeah, look look up YouTube Connie Corsos. And it's not Kane Corsos, it's Connie Corsos. But that the, the whole thing of it is that they're highly intelligent. The name basically stands for bodyguard. Uh, it, uh, these Italian Mastiffs are brilliant, you know. But, yeah, Finn, or Finrear is his full name, but he is... Uh, again shows that that calm uh dominance he is we call him also the sheriff because if we have two other little shih tzus and they come by their name correct uh, (laughs) uh, uh, but if they're playing or if they start to argue he'll come over and he'll take his paw this massive paw and kind of pop one of their butts and get between them. I think that's so cool. And so he, he breaks up fights. He's like the wise old man. Oh, and, and he's only a year old. Man. So, yeah. Well, you just described yourself. So uh, we, we usually get dogs of our temperament. So that's why I have a shit zoo. Oh, <laughs> is that what it is? <laughs> I'm, just, I'm a little more passionate. I'm just kidding. They're, they're the only dog you could cuss at and you still think they're saying your names. That's all I know. Oh, my <laughs> goodness. Um, will he grow much more? Oh yes, he he's uh, will continue to grow until three to four years of age. Um, he's and, already one forty. Yeah, so he'll and they and they grow up the first year or so, and then they grow out. So he's he's still got some growing to do, but he's he, he's also my lap dog. He's crawled on my lap numerous times, and and I'm finally getting feeling back into my leg after he got off. Oh my goodness! But he, no, it's he he's wonderful. But he does he uh, he loves his family. Yeah. Hey, I'm going to ask you this. Do you have any good jokes for me today? Good jokes. The the one that I just heard is what is the difference between a hippo and a zippo? Mm, I don't know. One's heavy and the other's a lighter. <laughs> I'm sorry. Bad joke. I'll, I'll leave it at that. Oh, my gosh. Oh. I love dad jokes. Man, most people don't. I think that's why I like them. Well, it was it was it was interesting because well, you were there at my 60th birthday party. That was so much fun. Uh, it, it was both my kids were standing uh, one on my right and one on my left with the helium balloons. Remember, yep. and they were sucking down helium and telling dad jokes. But then everybody in the audience or everybody that was out that they came to it had a dad joke. Yeah, that, that was yeah. so that was perfect for you. Yeah, that was oh, good. Oh my gosh, I think a. I think actually when I when I got to know you, I really adopted that humor because 
it's just something really simple. Yes. Like it, it made it makes me more present. I think that's yes. probably why I really like those. Yeah. And I try to post them often and those kind of things. Get out of your head, man. Yes. We live in our heads so much. Yes. Um, and I did not know what it was like probably for the first 25, 27 years of my life to come back to my body yeah. and to be here and yeah. to actually live and make decisions and, yeah. and not be worried about the future and thinking about everything that happened before. So yeah. no, that's huge. Yeah. No, I'm a firm believer is a human uh, humor uh, is very highly underrated, underrated for its importance. You know, I'm firm believer in, in um, enjoying, uh, but also I, of course I'm a lot older. I, I've learned a long time ago is that we're given today and that's it. Mm. I can't do anything about the past. I can't do anything about the future. Now I can't influence it, but what am I doing today? What am I doing today to grow spiritually, physically, emotionally, relationally? What am I doing? Uh, the, the people that I come in contact with today, how am I influencing? Because that's what I'm responsible for is um, I can't control anybody, but I am I, I am responsible for how I influence the people I come in contact with. So am I influencing them in a healthy way or an unhealthy way? You know, uh, because this is it. I'm just given today. I don't, I'm not given tomorrow. So what am I doing today to make the most out of it? And that also includes uh, enjoying and laughing. You know? Oh, yeah. What well, brings us back to the oh, present. Absolutely. And if we're not in our body, you can't influence somebody. Mm -hmm. You can no. try all you want to and mm -hmm. speak intellect and whatever logic yeah. like but if you're not present it it's just like one year out the other oh yeah that's just it got got to be here in the now got one more question for yes. you uh, what do you think you've learned the most from being in private practice from your clients easy question right yeah it is um out of all these years the the the, the big if i were to sum up even in one word intentionality that's your word. It is through all the years that you'll find that those, be it individually or in relationships, the less people are intentional with doing what they need to do to become a better version of themselves than they were yesterday, or in relationships to do what they need to do to feed the relationships daily mm -hmm. without that intentionality, then that's when the chaos ensues. Just like you separate, it's like a silent killer. It, it really resentment is. And man, it just gets harder yeah. to talk to each other. And then before yes. you know it, like you're separated. Uh, and that's the whole thing. Um, uh, and, and so it's to live intentionally is so important. Uh, so often we go through life and life is doing us instead of us doing life. That's a shame. Yeah. yeah. And so be intentional. And so if anything, it is, it's, uh, yeah, my, my word, but it, uh, through all the years you, you look back and you go, okay, a lot of times the root of even conflict in couples and they'll argue about in-laws, outlaws, finances, this, that, but the root of it is because those are just symptoms is that they basically starved their relationship. Mm. They have not been intentional. They'll come up with all kinds of things. Well, I got to work and, and, and all this. I have all these kids, which is all important. But what is also important is that you feed your relationship. You know, um, it's what are we doing individually, mm. intentionally? That's um, so huge. We, uh, don't, we tend not to focus on ourselves when no, we get caught up. Yeah. No, we, and that's the thing is what are we doing? Uh, what am I doing intentionally 
to, like I said, become a better version of myself today than I was yesterday. Not comparing myself to the future. No. It is, am I better today than I was yesterday? You know, you're showing up. I'm, I'm showing up. What and, am I doing? And that takes courage. I yes. mean, there's intimacy blocks. There's lots of yeah. fears that come up in that. I guess sure. that's why, you know, the relationships I've had, um, I've grown the most yeah. because you have to confront that fear. Yeah. Like you have to get close to them and express those things and they may reject you. Yeah. yeah that may trigger something. They may not be for you. So, well, and the, the thing of it too, is we get so locked into what is going to be the outcome of this relationship. We try to predict everything. We pr- try to predict it. And, and it's, we don't need to go there. All we need to do is understanding uh, what happens is going to be a byproduct of the process. Now, I, I need to know where I'm going. That's why I'm a firm believer in goals. But um, I'm not going to try to predict because oftentimes we predict to the negative. So, therefore, we start to self-sabotage. Makes sense. And we don't even know we're doing we it. We don't even know uh, we're doing it. And, and so, uh, so what we do is we focus on, okay, um, transformation, again, is a byproduct of the the consistent application of the information that i've been given and we got to make sure that the information we're given is solid so we have to learn to think for ourselves what a novel idea wow yeah it's it's a miracle yeah somebody else shouldn't think for us no no they don't need to no not at all no i think that's what uh, courage really is it takes a lot of courage to come back to your body and feel what you're feeling mm-hmm. because it is scary. Well, sure it is. Yeah, and especially oh, sure. if you're not used to that. Especially Absolutely. if you're used, uh, if you grew up in a home that was people pleasing, yeah. or they were living for one individual. Yeah. Well, you don't even know what you're feeling. No. You're just seeking out to help whoever's around you. Yeah. It's an avoidance of what being yeah. present, coming back to your body. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I did that for a long time, so um, it made me. You know, I used to like be ashamed of that—that that mm-hmm. I was such a people pleaser. I learned so much oh, sure. from getting out of that. Sure. And then I could catch myself so quickly mm-hmm. um, because I get a lot of clients like that's typically the issue. Yeah. Like they're not assertive, mm-hmm. like, or they're trying to please other people. Mm-hmm. So, well, and that's why it's real important for us. The, the past, we cannot do anything to change the past, but what we can do is learn from it. We can grow from it, but then eventually we have to go from it. Um, uh, but also realizing we could also beat ourselves up for I should have, but I shouldn't have. So why didn't I? And all this other then stuff. We're bringing it. We're bringing it back. But the thing that we need to do is to move into a different direction. Is go. You know what? Back then I did what I knew, but now I know different. So I'm going to do different. And that you just feel better even yeah. saying and just thinking, saying, saying and thinking that because that's very reasonable. Oh, if I would have known different, I would have done different. Oh, absolutely. But yeah. I didn't. And so, and there's all kinds of stuff I could beat myself up over in the past, but at the point I behave in a way that reflect what I knew. And so now, like I said, I, I know different from it. I learned from it. I'm going to do something different. In fact, oftentimes people will say, uh, forgive and forget, forgive and forget. Well, we know that we can't forget things, but in that, that context, that word forget means to do something different. Uh, no charge either. Well, we're, we're, we're doing something different. That means I'm uh, basically forgetting the old way I've done something and I'm creating a new way. See? And so that's why, okay, because we will remember things. I remember things from uh, years ago, but it's not affecting me the same way because I'm doing it different. Okay? So we forgive, but we also forget which means to do something different 
And the way that you say it, I wish people would teach kids this, yeah. like teach them how to identify their emotions and mm-hmm. then and then how to change their perception and those things. Because what you said, you made it so simple, and I know you understand the complex behind it, mm-hmm. the, how the brain interacts and all mm-hmm. that stuff. I wish you'd run a course on that. Like if you just draw it on, drew on a board the brain. And so that helps me so much, especially I'm visual. Mm-hmm. So when I see that, I connect it. So yeah. when I go and do things and try to apply new techniques to switch my perception, mm-hmm. I'm literally thinking about those parts of the brain too. And that mm-hmm. just heightens it even more. Oh yeah. The more, you know, the more you understand, the more you go, okay, this is my body's response to this. And at that point I kind of separated myself. It says, I'm seeing it from the, the bird's eye view. Okay. Yeah. This is the reticular that is kicking in or my amygdala has just sounded or uh, my hippocampus, my hippocampus, uh, it's flooding my system now with cortisol because it's kicking me into a survival mode. The more we understand this, the more we, even things like uh, the parts of the brain and stuff, the more we go, oh, okay, this, this makes sense. And we have to be conscious of that yeah. because even smells or, or, or maybe a color shirt someone's wearing can activate things. Oh, especially the olfactory. Um, it takes about uh, 10 to 15 seconds for it to get from our smell to and you have these two olfactory pods that are in the the limbic section and it brings back the emotion it brings back uh i, I smell coffee to this date and it re- i remember my dad in the morning mm. getting up early to make coffee or i smell uh mode hay i'm thinking well i grew up in a farming area and so a lot of times i'd make money by going and belling hay you know and just brings back all the emotion with that so it goes back the other way too so it can be oh. very positive as oh it well. could be positive or we could go in and, and a lot of times and some people think that this is why we have the white coat syndrome where our blood pressure goes up when we go into the hospital or stuff because of the the smell of the hospital or the smell of the doctor's uh. office and it could bring bring back uh some negative memories so our bp goes up the associations then we go and then you're in survival mode yeah that makes a lot of sense so it's almost um we're very unconscious when we're, we're in survival mode so oh, sure. for me even you know living like that and mm-hmm. making certain decisions that i shouldn't have made knowing that i'm out of survival mode mm-hmm. and now i'm conscious and i'm making conscious decisions yeah. allowed me to forgive myself well sure yeah sure yeah, yeah that, that's important yes. that's important self-forgiveness yeah for sure Doc, got anything else? Oh, I'm I'm good. I just appreciate the time. You do a great job, buddy. No, I appreciate it. I'm glad you came on. You have to be back soon. Uh, I, pre- I, I will. Thank you. Awesome. We're going to put this up today. I will talk to you guys soon. Bye.